as I said, we're all in different places. Some of us are young. We're just coming into our teenage years. Um, so maybe some of us are 12, 13, 14. Maybe some of us are in our late teens. Um, and so we're in that sort of place of life. Some of us are in our early 20s. And I did a little poll before I did this on social media. I don't really know how to use it very well. So I got some tips from the younger guys. I did a little story and I did, how many of you have been tired of hearing messages about, um, about dating, courtship, marriage and stuff? And there was a few no's. There was more yeses, which, which as in, there was more no's. No, we're not tired of hearing about it. There was a few yeses, so I got that right. But a lot of people sent me through private messages saying, asking extra further questions, and that's what I've based a lot of this on, which has been great. I trust for you in that bracket, this will be a biblical roadmap to doing things God's way on your route towards marriage. Others here are married, and I trust this will be very helpful in giving you wisdom to either help your children in this process, or your future children in this process, or others as they start the journey. And as I said, yet others may feel that this topic is really not relevant to you at all due to past experiences, where you are in your faith journey, Maybe you feel your past marriageable age. Uh, maybe you feel singleness is for you. And as I said, I want you to know that the Lord will speak to you today if you're open. He'll speak to you in whatever is getting spoken on. He will chat to us if it's through his word. So I'd love to get straight in. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Genesis. This is where we're going to be going through. I think it's a brilliant picture of the way to do things. I'll be the first to say um, there are many parts of this that I haven't followed and could do better in. And that's why I'm just so grateful for scripture that guides us in this process. So if you don't have your Bibles, it's there. Otherwise, it's always good to turn to it, especially to make sure that I'm not just making things up. Okay. So we are diving into the story of Isaac and Rebecca. I think they're a great picture. Um, we can learn so many different lessons from them. And so we're going to read together. And so I'm going to start off. This is what it says. Now Abraham was old. He was well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven. Now stand up because I'm short. And God of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Okay, just to be clear, when we go down this thing on the road to marriage, the Bible doesn't leave any room for something that society would call dating. No room. You won't find it in the Bible at all. When I give an example of dating, it's because biblically it would mean a romantic relationship with a focus towards a movement towards marriage. When you talk about dating in the society in which we live, usually marriage is not at the forefront of it at all. There may be different reasons for dating, um, but the Bible speaks about an intentional relationship with an end goal of marriage, which is more a courtship type process. But in the society in which we live, the purpose of dating may involve attempts to bring fulfillment to your life, being together to boost status. I know a number of people do that, trying to boost the status in life, removing feelings of loneliness. But most importantly, at its core, as I said, there is no specific desire to say this person at the outset, I'm looking at as a potential for marriage. So that's where we differ according to the the biblical side. So we just read that short little bit. First important note for our culture and our context. If you ask someone in this day and age to do what Abraham asked his servant to do, you'd probably get a punch in the face. So 
in that day and age, there was this culture where if you were going to make an oath, you would say this to someone you really trusted. They would put their hand in a very sensitive area or close to it, um, hand under my thigh, and then you would make this sort of oath or covenant. Men, don't do that now. No matter how biblical you want to take it, that was cultural context then. Don't do that now. You might get a black eye as a result of that. First point to note and a very important one. But jokes aside, this story is based on arranged marriage. So this is based on arranged marriage where parents choose the spouse for you. This is probably not the case for most of us here today, but in many cultures around the globe, it is still very much in force. Moms and dads from both sides choose a spouse for their kids. And you know what? It's not always the worst thing. It actually can work. And there's a number of stories that come out from people who've been in those marriages who actually say, I had no idea who the person was or I didn't actually have an attraction towards them. But guess what? My parents who know me better than most could actually be quite good at choosing a very good person for me. And so it's turned out that a lot of those marriages do actually work very well. We don't live in that necessarily ourselves, arranged marriages. Some kids would be terrified of that process. But this is the story we're going through. We can still adapt an awful lot from it. The important point from the passage is parental involvement is very important. So cultural context, which was what I was talking about in terms of Abraham as servant, parental involvement is vitally important. So... Whilst we didn't get it perfectly, Sarah and I involved our parents in our relationship right from the start. They knew about it. They knew about each other before we were going out. In fact, we staged a little bit of a braai connection time. I think it was at Lake Chivero. And my parents were like, why the heck is Sarah and her parents coming? Her parents were like, why are we here? I mean, it was just, but we were staging this because we were sort of involving our parents and we were wanting them to sort of be in on the action from the start. But we sought their advice. We asked them what they thought. Um, and if you are here today and you have godly parents, parents who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, and you're getting towards this process of thinking about a person for marriage or walk, working towards that place, involve them. Involve them. If they're parents who follow Jesus, involve them in the process. They should be among the first that you talk to and seek their counsel. If you don't have parents who follow Jesus, still ask their advice, still ask their wisdom, still ask their counsel. But if you're a Christ follower, I would say find other families as well or other couples as well who you respect and admire in their relationship. Get in touch with them. Get a biblical um, pa uh, passage or flow of how things should happen from them. And we try to do that as well in the process of walking through a journey with a couple that we knew. If your parents are not part of your relationship and don't know what's happening, get them involved. So if you're already in one here today, whether you're a teenager, 20s, whichever else, if they're not involved at all, if it's sort of an undercover thing, get your parents involved. Parents, this doesn't mean I'm giving you a license to control and come along to every one of your child's social gatherings, but be available and interested. You know, there's this phrase called heli helicopter parenting. I think it's more moms than dads, but it's these moms who just, they've just got to be everywhere involved and it's like checking out the phone and there's at this gathering and it's following on this helicopter parenting. Don't do that, moms in particular. Not helpful. But be there and be available. My parents were, were always very good at asking, how are things going? I would wake up from a late night out or from being out socializing and I know the shadow of a doubt, my mom would come, I knew it would happen, I'd stay in bed, my mom would come and sit on the edge of the bed. So, so how was last night? <laughs> Who did you meet, Craig? 
did you have fun? I mean, this is just went through the whole phrase, but you're just very good at trying to draw out conversation. You know, in the car, you're exhausted. You've been at rugby practice or whatever else. Or now I'm finished and I'm doing exam halls and having a chat with me. So how are things going in that area? You know, just, but it wasn't, it wasn't forced or helicoptering. It was just mom and dad trying to ask these questions, which is important. So do that, but no helicopters, moms in particular. I'd say for parents, the hugest thing is being a great example of what a godly marriage is for your kids. Yes, you can speak about it. Yes, you can encourage and ask questions, but I can guarantee you they are watching. And the thing is, is they watch whether they want to or not. So, so much as you find out how the people that we turn out to be is from what, we, what we've experienced from two, three, four, five years old on up. And so for parents, the best thing you can do for your kids is to be the best marriage, to be the, the godly marriage, and automatically things will flow from that. So our parenting starts with authority. You just do what I say. That's what it starts. You don't cross the road. And if you do try and do it, you get a whack. Why? Because you're going to get hit by a car and die. So it starts with authority, right? You just listen to mom and dad. You don't have a, a, a way into this. But as you move on from that, it moves to influence very quickly. The transformation and in parenting moves from authority to influence-based parenting very quickly. And I've seen this even with my daughter, Layla, who is five. An example would be sometimes I'm not that good at biting my nails, right? So I see her biting her nails. And she said this a few times to me before. I mean, like, Layla, stop biting your nails but daddy you do hmm good point Layla very good point as a five-year-old exactly I'm being a hypocrite you know and then I have to say I'm very sorry yes I need to stop as well but our kids are brilliant at picking up the fact when we bring authority without influence they are very good and they will do this until you're 40 50 60 as a parent we're always looking at our moms and dads we're always looking at our parents so parents lead by influence more than you lead by authority authority brings obedience out of fear sometimes it's important in certain scenarios but influence in inspires your kids to follow you because of respect and admiration. So, as parents here today, make sure that your marriage honors Jesus, follow God's roles, um, pursue God in your relationship as priority, and your kids will see that and they will want that one day. The best possible way that you can set them up for a great marriage in the future is to be the best marriage. So our responsibility in marriage is huge. The future of our children's marriages depends on ours because they follow what they see. And so for some parents, this might be a time where after the service today, or maybe you need to do some repenting. Maybe you need to do some turning a different direction. Maybe you need to say, well, actually, are we being the best example that we can be for our kids? Or have we been the best example? Do we need to go to our kids and say, actually, we're really sorry, but what you've seen in ours is really not what it should be like, and we're sorry. We want to do things better. So maybe for parents, we need to do some repenting and doing things the right way. And your, if your kids have left home, keep pursuing God in your marriage. Keep being a safe place for them to speak to um, if they need to. Keep setting an example for others and for surrogate kids to look up to. I've loved doing the art of marriage and seeing other things happening in and around Harare where we've got younger couples hanging out and spending time with older couples and learning from them. It's brilliant. It's amazing. That's what church family is all about. So go for it. few comments here all of my black Zimbabwean friends would meet their ladies on the roadside 
It's quite an interesting thing. You either meet at the food court or you'd meet on the side of the road or you'd meet down a road or, and, you, and you see this still happening to this day. And I used to go, guys, that is just weird. Get them over to your house, you know, hang out in the lounge, go over to their house and they're like, if that happens, I am dead. She is not allowed into my house. I'm not allowed into hers. That is not how it happens in our cultural context. So how are we going to get to see and get to know what she's like or whatever else? That's just what they said. They said they would be dead. So parental involvement was slightly different for some of them, and they tried to keep their parents out of the mix. But the principle still stands that when we're in a Christ culture as parents, we want our children to be able to talk to us about our choices. So if you're in that context, if you happen to be in that context today, I'd say flip the tide and say, do you know what? You might be meeting at the food court. You might be meeting on the side of the road. I would rather you hang out in our lounge. Far better. I would rather you be in the mix in our lounge so I can actually be in touch with what's happening, not helicoptering, just be in touch without it going too far. So culture is different. And then he says this phrase there. Um, I'll go back to it. He says, um, go to swear this, the God of heaven or whatever else, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac there. What's it getting across there? Choose someone who has the same beliefs as you do. For Abraham, he was going, it is so important for my son that he has someone in his life, that he marries someone who has the same belief sets as I do. Hugely important. Um, so sorry, children grow more for influence or authority. Same core beliefs are absolutely vital. Here's some great passages on this that Abraham cared so much about. But look at some of these powerful passages. 1 Corinthians 7. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. If her husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants. Look at that little hyphen, only in the Lord. I.e., Paul's getting across the point of saying, listen, if, if for a different reason you're moving into marriage or whatever else, that's okay, but make sure it's someone who has the same beliefs as you. Get backed up in a, in a different one. I would say this goes in the form often in terms of business and actually partnerships and things that we do in general. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? darkness, i.e. again, if you're going to move into one of the key relationships you can ever have, and at your very core faith level belief, it's polar opposite, you're setting yourselves up for destruction. So this passage is saying that you're never going to fulfill what you're supposed to if you aren't moving in the same direction. Isaac, Abraham wanted Isaac, and Isaac was following his God's ways. He was following his dad's faith. And his dad in this era of arranged marriages was saying to his servant, you know what? The most important thing for me is make sure that this wife comes out of the same belief set as we do. That's going to set my husband in the best stead possible. So what's the principle? Get your master right first. Who do you follow? Whether you're a teenager, 20, 30, 40, everyone, get who you follow first. Who's your master? Who's your king? Who is the God that you serve? Is it Jesus? If so, then that should be your priority in a potential relationship. That's your number one factor before looks or anything else. Your number one factor is, is does that person care about the same God that I care about? Does this man or woman love Jesus with all their hearts? Is he their number one? And secondly, after that, 
I've got a little thing that I stole here from someone. It's supposed to be in cooler font. I don't know why I did that. Get your master right. Once you've got that right, get your mission right. What has God called you to? Isaac knew that. Abraham knew that. Isaac was following into that. He knew that Isaac had a plan and a mission that God was calling him to. So he was like, get the person who loves Jesus first. After that, are they up for what you're up for? When I met Sarah, she knew that I loved Jesus. I hope. <laughs> and wanted to serve him. And I knew the same about her. So we knew that about each other. She knew that I was doing this thing called Zam Holes and I was doing camps and in all likelihood she was going to be coming on those things with me. She knew about those sorts of things. She knew about my love for church um, and for God's kingdom and she was up for that. And as a result, she's been so incredibly supportive in that process the whole way long. But if she didn't care about Jesus and his kingdom advance, if she didn't at all, if it wasn't even on the radar, if she didn't care about that, we would be setting ourselves up for the most crazy frustrations and issues with each other because our core belief sets would be absolutely different. I've heard of many people before saying, I just love this person. We feel committed to each other. When you get down to chatting to those two, but is your faith the same? Uh, no, not, not really. I, I think it might be. And, and what sort of things do you feel are, are similar in terms of what you're called to or what's your mission, particularly as a guy? What do you feel God calling you to? I don't know really have no clue at all. Probably not a good time for you to be thinking about a lady if you don't have those two things right at all. So our faith beliefs are vitally important. What if you're in a relationship now where your spouse is not a believer? So I'll talk a bit more on relationships with someone now. What happens if you're in a relationship now? And I know this does happen with many people over different times of life. Someone might become a Christ follower who isn't. Or what happens if you're in one right now with someone who isn't a believer? I'd say that could be a very difficult place, very hard place because your core beliefs are clashing all the time. I want to encourage you to be the most incredible spouse you can. Be the most unbelievable godly spouse you can. Keep Jesus as your priority. Pray for your spouse, for them to come to faith. Trust Jesus to work in your lives and keep loving. So you go for it. You go for all that God has for you and you keep trusting, but you stay in that relationship. So know your master, know your mission. Don't depart from that no matter how tempting it may be. I've seen many people, Sarah and I could share of many, whose faith and mission has been derailed through relationship. Many, many who've been running hard after God have been sold out for him and his kingdom and then move into a relationship, guys and girls, and suddenly God becomes hugely in the background. Mission that he's called them to hugely in the background. And so you get a relationship at the cost of the two more important things. And so be very, very aware of this. It's heartbreaking to see. And then the time comes to start thinking about a mate. I'm often asked by teenagers and 20s, but particularly teenagers, when is a good time to start thinking about a mate? I've got my master right. I love Jesus. I've got my mission right. I know that he wants me to do this. I have some 12 or 13-year-olds on camps who used to say, I just know I'm going to do this. And I said, well, some of you, you might know, but it's probably going to change. But now, am I ready? When's a good time to think about a relationship? Or well, particularly for the young men here, if you can support a wife or are close to that place, if you can support her um, in terms of financially or home or whatever else, and you're close to that place and you know what God's called you to, that's a good place to start. Is money everything? No, it isn't. But are you able to support yourself? Think about supporting a family. And do you sort of have an idea of what God's calling you to? Good place to start. Most 14 and 15 year old guys don't have that in line. 
There's not many that I know. Back in biblical times and 17, 1800s, there was a lot of men who were 14, 15, 16. They're working. They're working in dad's business. They could. That's why people got married in their teens so often. They could support a wife and a family at that age. Our culture is slightly different, but think about that. If mom and dad are going to be doing the providing for you for the foreseeable future, and you have no idea what the Lord has laid on your heart, then you're probably not ready for a relationship that's moving towards marriage. And ladies, I would say, if a man is very interested in you, and you have a little chat and there's a little bit of interest, I would say very quickly on, you can get down to, once you've got master, who you're following, oh, I love Jesus, then definitely get down to, so what are you thinking about, you know, life in the future and where it's going, and, and that'll be a, a good tester as well. And then, well, but, but how are you going to provide for me? And there's not many 15-year-olds you're going to be like, it's okay. I've got this in the bank. I'm doing this. I have this invested. I've got this plan. It's all okay. If he does, hey, get married at 16. Who am I to, who am I to argue? Um, <laughs> but it's probably a very good idea in that place to very nicely let him down and explain the above. Now, my wife was very trusting because when we went along this process, um, money in particular was not there in what I was doing. So she was very trusting and she brought home the bacon a lot working as a teacher. So that's amazing. And we live in a place around the world where a lot of the time men and women do need to work for, to provide. But the principle is, is, is he trying or even thinking about it? That's the principle. Most young aren't. So I'd say for most teenage men and most teenagers, it's probably not on the radar in terms of biblically for you to be thinking about relationships. Maybe, but probably not. Here are a few couples actually, uh, comments from couples um, uh, asked about dating on this, just a few different ones. I wouldn't have had little boyfriends or girlfriends from 13 year, years old. I would have waited until I was mature and could realistically think about marriage. It would have saved me a lot of heartache. Someone else said, I would not date anyone I wouldn't consider marrying a waste of emotional energy and pouring into a relationship headed down a dead end street. I've heard of extremely few teenage romances that ended in marriage. There have been some. There are numbers. People who met at 15, 16, 17, might have been you guys. <sighs> Look at all the problems you caused. No, I'm joking. That's my parents. Um, they met in that bracket. I know others. Any, any here who are married who met in your teenage years? Any, there'll be a few. A few in teenage years. Exactly, look at those stats. Like five couples, right? You could be in those five. It's unlikely. Um, but it is well possible. Okay. So I've heard of probably two or three examples um, of uh, people in that bracket close to, and here would be about the same, five in that bracket who teenagers ended up going on to be um, married. Uh, so that is an interesting one. I also think I've heard of probably only two examples in my entire life of people who are married as a Christ follower and a non-Christ follower, where the non-Christ follower became a believer. Probably two where people met and someone was a Christ follower said, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. I'm sure, I've been praying, I'm sure that they're gonna to come to faith and it's gonna be amazing, it's all gonna work out. I think I know of two examples in all of the people that I know where the person who wasn't a Christ follower became a Christ follower. So the stats are not on your side. Don't kid yourself, they aren't on your side. Satan will do everything he can to derail your faith or to make you ineffective for what God's called you to. Okay, good one. Next one, courage is required. Okay, so if we dive on a little bit further, for a relationship to happen, courage is required. This is probably where I need to learn the most. Okay, this is what the servant says to him. The servant says, 
Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land. So I go out to see her. Abraham, that's fine. But suppose she is not willing to come with me to the land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you. You can take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me, but don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master's, his master Abraham's thigh, swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So the servant was like, okay, this is what you want me to do. What happens if it's not going to pan out as it should? What happens if I go there and it doesn't work out and she doesn't want to come back? And Abraham is like, do you know what? Just go for it. Go for it and do it. Step out. God's going to be at work. He is going to do something in that process. There is risk in every relationship. There is risk in the start of it. There's risk in the middle of it. There's risk in every type of relationship. God exercised risk in his relationship towards us. I'm going to pay a great price on the cross for these people. Will they turn or won't they? He exercised risk in the process. So it's at the core of the gospel. God pays a great price for us at risk that we, and we may not accept his offer, and many don't. For the men, and I think it should usually be the men who start in this process. There are times where the lady has to step in and just be like, listen, I'm not saying it's ever happened with us, um, where the ladies had to step in and say, listen, are you actually going to make a decision? And sometimes men need a little bit of that nudge, ladies. So sometimes that's possible. But I'd say at least on the outset, right at the start, it's probably better if the men do the first starting out there. I can see Mark smiling. Probably means Taryn um, went for it in the process as well. Um, so courage is required in pursuing a romantic relationship. And I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say, this is a struggle for me as a more anxious type character. So it'd be the same. So with us, I've done a little bit of a testing out. There's a thing called a three coffee rule. Ladies, you must know this rule. You have to know this rule. This is how it goes down. A guy steps out in courage and he's like, coffee, you know, just like, hey, and he says it in passing, right? Now, if there's any slight interest, I'll talk a little bit more on the fact that he's not asking you to marry him there. But if he, if he, if he's just there's a slight bit of interest, and you say yes, and you have like a nice coffee, the second time if he asks you again, there is no doubt that he is definitely interested, right? He's not going to ask you for another coffee just because it's random. He's definitely interested. If it comes to the third time, and he hasn't actually said anything to you, like I actually think you're quite a hottie or whatever else it is, if he actually hasn't said that. Just be like, it's okay, bro. I don't need another coffee. Because he needs to be able to say something more than, you know, just random chat after those three. He's got to be able to say something. So I'm happy to say at the outset, I think I did that with Sarah. Um, I had to do these sneaky ones. But when it came down to the third one, it was pretty scary. So we go to Vanilla Moon and I'd done it like sneaky, like, oh, you know, a friend of mine is coaching rugby or actually, no, that was a different time. That was the first time. Um, so even the first time, I was, the first time I was undercover. Right. So um, when it came down to number three, we go back to our old haunt, you know, Vanilla Moon, because that's where it all started. Um, it started before that, but that's where the coffee date, you know, we, we got stuck in there. So now I decide the silly idea that we are going to have lunch. Now, this is the stupidest thing to do if you're a very nervous man, because now you have no appetite, but you decide, let's go for lunch. Now, not wanting to look scared, I'm like, I'm going to have the big burger, of course, you know, the Vanilla Moon burger. So she orders it, uh, uh, something else as well. Now we're sitting there um, outside, and like my heart is pounding, I'm feeling sick. I'm like, there's no ways I can eat anything 
anything. I'm trying to eat something. And, um, uh, and uh, anyway, so I finally got the courage and I'm like, so actually, you know, I do like you type thing. I mean, it was super awkward. Eh? I wish it was, I wish it was manly. And then she did the worst thing. She was like, um, well, do you want me to answer? So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, well, it's done. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. It depends. Like, are you going to say yes? Because then I'd love an answer. If you're not going to say anything, well, let's just call it quits. It's been a great time out. Um, anyway, thankfully, I was like, yeah, yes, why not? Let's go for Brooke. And, uh, and she was like, no, well, I, I feel the same. So it was a winner. Well done. Thank you, my love. Um, <laughs> give it up. So she saw through, and she still often has to see through this rather wimpy, um, you know, anxiety-filled man that I am. Anyway, so three coffee date rule, ladies, that's just so that you know. Um, and uh, as I said, Sarah, she's the one who usually catches rats and beats them, and I sort of like skimp around, although I did catch a snake the other day. It was very small, and it was in a box, but still, I did catch it. Um, but men... If your identity is firmly in Christ, even being rejected can be handled. It can be handled. So if you're just sort of wondering and you're just not exactly sure and you don't even know yet if maybe you guys are going to hit it off or whatever else, just step out in faith. And even if she lets you down, ladies, let them down gently. But even if she lets you down and she's like, actually, no, I'm not in that place or whatever story ladies give. Um, it's just not the right time and blah, blah, blah. Uh, even if she does that, that's okay. But, but just go for it. Your identity is Christ is in Christ, so, so go for it, men. Get out there and ask them for coffee. Get your master right, get your mission clear, and then be prepared for a courageous step like that servant when the time comes. So ask her out for coffee. Get to know her. Taking the first step does not mean you're getting engaged. And I think this is important for ladies. Very important, particularly in Christ-following circles. He asks you out and suddenly your mind is just going, oh my goodness, but could I marry this guy if he asked me to be engaged? Can it happen like this? And then do I want to have kids with him? And does he look like, I mean, the list could go on. He's asking you out for coffee. Okay, so I would love to see amongst us at Harvest and in Harare and other circles where there's actually this open thing to sort of be able to go out for coffee with each other and sort of test the waters a little bit. Guys, to build up their courage. But it does mean you have to have some level of intention and interest. So enjoy a coffee together and then keep seeking God in the process, but be courageous. Okay, so men, be courageous. You're going to have to do this. Let's keep reading. Show your intentions. And this was the three coffee date rule, but uh, I'll read a little bit more. So the servant goes, he took 10 of his master's camels and with all kinds of his master's goods in hand, that's how they did it in the day, um, and went to Naos town. At evening, the time when women went out to draw water, he made the camels kneel beside a well outside the town. Sorry, let me just read here a little bit more. And then we'll go back to that. Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I'm standing here at the spring where the daughters of men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may drink and who responds, drink and I'll water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for my, your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to your master. Master, to my master. So we'll jump on that. I did a little skip. So show your intentions clearly. 
The master goes out and does this. He has all the camels. He gets out to the right spot. He's being very clear on following through on what he's about to do. He's taken this huge amount of animals from, uh, from Abraham and this is like a real show. He's very intentional. He's not just going out there wimpish. He is definitely in the mix. So be chilled, but be where the ladies are. This would be similar with the ladies. <laughs> be chilled about it, but be in the mix. Okay, so you can't be a little bit of a hermit and going, oh Lord Jesus, please just bring me a wife or please just bring me a husband and never ever interact with someone of the opposite sex. It's going to be very difficult for God to help make this happen while you're sitting in your room every single day, every night, expecting it to happen. You've got to be where the action is. So get into the mix where the action is. If you curl up at home as a hermit or play sport with the boys 24-7 or hang out in only guy or only girl groups, how will you ever meet a potential marriage partner? So you've got to be where the mix is. I'm so in favor of those groups of guys and girls hanging out together and slowly as we talk a little bit more, God opens up things. But you've got to actually be relating with someone of the opposite sex. So don't be a stalker or a WhatsApp addict, but be there in person. I know we live through screens, but be there in person. Make plans to arrange it. And I've loved it with the, the guys in their late teens and 20s in the church who are always arranging things. And I know they're stakeouts, guys. I know they're just checkouts. That's okay. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. So I know that there's always brides happening and there's a dinner here and there's the youngster, you know, the youngerish life groups and there's like a little bit of golf going down and there's putt-putt and there's like going to watch events and movies. Great, do it. We all know what's, what's, what's going down. It's a good thing. Get connected and get hanging out with each other. So, so go for it in that process, but be there in the mix. Okay, look for character. I just shared that, look for character. So he now says, this is what I'm gonna do, and if this lady acts in this way, I'm gonna bring out the camels, and if the lady says, I'm gonna, of course, I'll give your camels a drink, and don't you need this, and don't you need this, then I will know this lady is the lady. So pray, seek God, but look for character. Look for character. Do they follow Jesus? And what does that look like in terms of character above other things? Don't get so picky looking for Mr. or Mrs. Perfect who ticks all of your boxes that you miss the imperfect one God has chosen for you. Because all of us are imperfect, right? None of us are perfect. And we can be so careful and with all the tick boxes and he's got to be like this, he's got to be like this, she's got to be like this, she's got to look like this, she's down the list. And then suddenly you get to 45 or 50 going, but I just haven't met anyone who's ticked all my boxes. It's just, it's not happening. God is not bringing the person and he's going, maybe, just maybe, you shouldn't have 27 checklists for me to bring you the imperfect, perfect one for you. The way that I see it, I could be right or wrong, you could marry many different um, perfect people for you until you're married and then you have married the one. God's working the whole way through. He's working supernaturally through the process. But theoretically, there's a lot of passages about he who finds a wife, finds a good thing, go on the hunt, go and search and whatever else. Once you're married, that's the perfect one for you. God has brought you the perfect person once you are married. There's this article called Picky, Picky, Picky by John Tierney. Look at, look at what he says here. How could I take the, how, the girl saying, how could I take him seriously after seeing the road less traveled on his bookshelf? 
if, and he talks about different others, if she would just lose seven pounds, sure he's a partner, but it's not a big firm. And he wears those short black socks. It was going great. She had a great face, smile, and body, but then she turned around and she had dirty elbows. <laughs> we can be like that. We can be like that in just seeing everything that's wrong without seeing actually what God's showing at. When it comes to looks, yes, you need to be physically attracted to each other, obviously. But God is so clear on our inner character being of far more value, worth, and beauty than anything external could ever be. Do you want a pin-up model with not a very nice character or, or someone who may not be in the model category, but oh my goodness, they are after God and they are incredible in character. Which do you want for a lifelong partner? And that's what we need to check out the whole time. I know a friend of mine, and I would be the same, is if you're lucky, you get both. Thank you very much. Some of you guys, if you wait too long, you'll get the second. Some of you will get the first or the others, but the point is, is go for both, which is what I go with Sarah. Godly and gorgeous. Got to get both. Great. Having a hyper sense of the perfect one for you in, is dangerous in two regards. Firstly, it makes you lazy in choosing because you wait for someone to fall into your lap. It also makes you lazy in your character development because you believe that if the person is right for you, it'll all work out with no effort or life change in your character. So it's important. We, we become lazy in choosing and lazy in character. God's sovereignty actually works through us and our choices. He has orchestrated life in such a way that his plans overarch our thoughts, um, our actions, our desires, and he works through those. He works in and through our decisions to bring about his purpose. So when it comes to relationships, walk closely with him, seek his voice, and then live act rest he is large and in charge he who finds a wife finds a good thing but it will take some intentionality some seeking and some looking for character great honor god with your purity this is before marriage this is during marriage honor him with your purity look what it says before we had finished speaking there was rebecca Daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the, the wife of Abram's brother Nahor, coming with a jug on her shoulder. Now the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had been intimate with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and she came up. Sex is reserved for marriage. That's the only context God has created it for. It's affirmed in Genesis and in many other passages as well. And although this series will cover many other um, number of reasons why God has created sex to only be in marriage, but here are a few. Sex before marriage can set us up for betrayal after marriage. If it's okay to have sex with me before we are married, before I'm your spouse, it may mean that you're okay with having sex with someone who's not my spouse after we're married. So it sets an awkward precedent in that process. Sex is so strong a bond that it glues us to each other. And if you have sex with someone who does not turn out to be your wife, there'll be a difficulty in forgetting that. And I would say, even if it's someone who does become your wife. So I've spent a number of time talking with a couple who Christ followers, had sex before they were married over a period, ended up getting married. They said post-marriage, in marriage, when sex should be a great thing, they felt a huge amount of guilt that they had to work through and be counseled through because they were still feeling the guilt of knowing that it was wrong prior to marriage. That continued through when it was in a place when it should have been healthy and good. If you've got stuck into sex before marriage, there is a forbidden excitement you may have enjoyed because of its um, 
sinful nature. This sets you up to find sex in marriage dull or less exciting because it does not have the forbidden element. If you save yourself for marriage, there is excitement of enjoying sex, plus the added excitement of we've kept ourselves in God's book, go for it. And uh, it's a huge blessing place. It's correct, it's proper, go for it, which should be the case for every married couple. God has designed sexual intimacy um, as a vital cog in the wheel of marriage. So, how far can we go before marriage? Good question. Whether you are a teenager, whether you are 20s, 30s, how far can we or should we go? The question should always more be about how close to Christ can we remain? So that's more the question, how close to Christ can we remain? Two good safeguards. I would say, up to the point of sexual frustration, i.e., when does arousal start? Stop before that point. When does arousal start? Which men and women know, stop before that point. Other one would be, how would you like someone, I've said this to many teenagers, how would you like someone to be treating your future spouse right now? Good indicator as well, if you're a Christ follower. It's also another healthy indicator. But the point is, is Jesus will show you how close to Christ can we remain. Some thoughts on cohabitation, that's living together before you are married, which is so interesting. So in England and America, it's different here, although it's growing. A friend of mine uh, at a church there in England, he was doing a preach on marriage, no sex before marriage, um, biblically. He said, I'm just terrified of doing this because I know on social media and from people within our church, there's going to be huge issues on the back of this. I said, you're not saying anything unbiblical. This is just normal. He's like, not in the societies in which we live. The amount of people who the lines have been so blurred that you just live together and have sex together as Christians before you get married and then you get married is massive um, in the States and in England, Australia and beyond. So um, it's, a, it's a huge thing and it will come into this place as well. In the Star, um, uh, the Star newspaper, they, were, they asked this question, does living together before marriage make you more likely to divorce? This is a non-Christian um, newspaper. This is the question they asked. This was what they said. Cohabitation has become the norm in modern society. 80% of us live together before tying the knot. Sharing resources makes good sense, as does testing the strength of the relationship by living together. Except, according to psychologists, and this is non-Christian psychologists, it doesn't necessarily work out like that. Several studies show that cohabiting couples are more likely to split up once they've tied the knot. A study in the Journal of Family Psychology found that those who cohabit were twice as likely to get divorced. Very interesting in terms of global statistics. Studies from University of Chicago, Michigan, Wisconsin, Yale, Columbia, and Penn State show that those who cohabit before marriage have unhappier marriages and are 50 to 80% more likely to divorce. Very interesting. So, do what's right in God's eyes and you will reap the benefits. Honor God with your purity, honor God before marriage, and reap those benefits. What if you are sleeping with your partner, or right now, you're here visiting and that's the process for you, or you have done in the past, what should you do in that process if you would consider yourself a Christ follower? The Lord's grace is sufficient. Ask for forgiveness. Make a decision to walk in purity from now. He restores it. God's full of grace. He's full of forgiveness. Make a decision to move forward in the right way. The last process, and then we'll close off. <clears throat> Courtship. 
So it says in the courtship, then the servant ran to meet her and he said, please let me have a little water from your jug. She replied, drink my Lord. She quickly lowered her jug to her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished getting him a drink, she said, I'll also draw water from your camels until they have enough to drink. He's like, this is the one. She quickly emptied her jug in the trough and hurried to the well to draw water. She drew water from his camel, uh, for his, all his camels while the man silently watched her to see whether or not the Lord has made, had made his journey a success, which he did. And then he moves into the courtship process. So courtship process. And there was a number who asked me today, can you give me the steps to make this work? And I said, 100%. Eight stages, it's done and dusted. It isn't actually. <laughs> but I think these are very helpful stages as we close for you to think on. This whole journey involves the watching and advice from others. It involves faith. It involves God at work in our lives. But here are a few quick thoughts. Quick stages. I don't mind if the guys who aren't married take out your phones and take pictures. It's not a problem. Or WhatsApp me afterwards, but I don't mind. Even if you're sitting next to each other, you can go for it as well. Right. So stage one, socialize, which I said. Get hanging out. Get in some healthy hangout groups. Get to know each other. Get to know each other of um, different sexes without any agendas. In groups, connect. Get to know how the other people operate. Stage two, yummy. You're in that bracket, all the boxes are ticked, and you're like, there's someone who stands out from the crowd more than the others. Just someone. I don't exactly know why, but there's just someone who has caught my eye out of the sea a little bit more. One fish has jumped out more. And then begins the stakeout. Okay. So you've now got to see, is he or she in the zone? Now, obviously, girls are doing this at the same time as well, but I'm saying guys need to lead in this process. Okay. Anyway, so now... Is she in the zone in terms of master, mission, mate, character? What are you thinking? You know what I mean? So you can check this out. Check what happens at church. Look what happens in like your small group. Look what happens in social things. Um, you, you know, what's, what, what's she like? You've just been at like, uh, well, I would say KFC, but it's so expensive now. So you've been at chicken dinner or whatever else and you're in the car and she just hucks out the box out the window. Mm, character problem. Doesn't care about litter. You know what I mean? There's these sorts of things. You're in like a social gathering at the small group and she's saying to everyone, hey, Hey guys, who wants tea? Who wants coffee? You know, who wants that? You're like, hmm, that sounds pretty good. Getting coffee made. I mean, so you, you do this sort of thing. You check out these sorts of things. Right, the stakeout. Stage four, closer but not cleaving. This is the step out in courage. It's like I've, I've spent some time. I've been seeking God. I've been praying. Now I ask out on the coffee. And remember, I said three. Um, so that is the part where you step out in courage. You're getting closer, but you aren't cleaving. You're not living together or anything else like that check in with mates and pastors people that you respect people that you admire hey I've asked this girl on a coffee or whichever else or uh, there's this guy who's interested what do you think what do you think about them well I, I saw them in church probably about seven months ago um, they say that they really love Jesus but to me it doesn't look like they really do okay I didn't think about that you know the, so ask people get people involved in your life parents would be the same in that process step six would be the become an item. You know, after the three coffees, you have to have a little chat and actually take things a bit further. We're not just floating. This isn't one of these floats. I've spoken to girls before, Sarah and I, where they've been in this sort of floating phase for like six months, a year, two years. Are you guys going out? Aren't you? We're just close friends. We should have coffee often. No, man, there's got to be something that's happening. You know, it's, uh, there's got to be a process. So there's got to be some fish, uh, something official. Okay. Break up or do PEC. What am I talking about there? Well, you're either going along this process and going as you go along this process of courtship, you're going, yes, 
as I go along, this could be someone that I want to marry. I want to progress down this path. When I say PEC, it's something called pre-engagement counseling. We actually don't necessarily do it here. Sarah and I did. I think it's a great thing. It's actually before you get engaged. It's going, we actually really thinking we could get married. Before we get engaged, let, let's go through some testing with another couple. Let's check this out even before we do that process. It's a good thing. But if you're sitting there going, we're six months in... It's just feeling really awkward or I just, I thought this guy was really nice, but every time he wants to see me or send a message, it's awkward. You know what I mean? You, if any of you have been in a relationship that hasn't worked, you'd know that sense where you're like, it just doesn't feel like it's working. Well, then you end it and you say, the process of courtship, that's okay. It's not working with each other. That's all right. End it. And then you can do the process again. Repeat. Probably have a bit of a break. Right. <laughs> Stage eight, breakup. So that's the one. So you break up or do PC, break up, you wait, not exactly sure, but we still think God's in this or whatever else. Take some time. You want to be sure before you do that sort of thing. So wait, still get some more counsel or get engaged. So if you want to take pictures, you can. Easy steps for you to take and follow. Just like that. No, it doesn't work like that. That's just some helpful thing. As I close, in the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field. He looked up and he saw the camels coming because it was happening. The servant obviously had done the process, but it was, it was happening. It was, it was all go. This process was, was going down. He was excited, Isaac and Rebecca. What happens if that moment of getting towards marriage or anything like that is not on the horizon for you at all? What happens if at the moment it feels like a love desert out there? It might. It feels like an absolute love desert or you feel you're past it. You feel it's never going to happen. What do you do in that sort of process? And I know numbers, number of people in their 40s, 50s, who feels like that. Their 20s or 30s, there's a love desert. Um, or maybe you're in a dead end relationship that's stagnating. What do you do? What's the process? Here's a few which we'll close off with and then I'll pray for a few groups of people. So become whole-souled. Get things in your life right that aren't right. Become satisfied with Jesus. Become fulfilled with Jesus. Build solid character. Get skilled in unconditional love. Learn self-control. Avoid pornography and fantasy. Learn to understand and respect the opposite sex. This will, I'll put out as well on WhatsApp because I'm going through it a bit faster. Build many friendships. Protect Protect the opposite sex from yourself. What am I talking about? The way that we dress, particularly for ladies, is huge. The way that you dress can lead people, men, to read you the wrong way. So dress the right way. Um, protect yourself from the opposite sex. Seek first God's kingdom. Pray and have faith. And as I shared there, don't stay in a dead-end relationship. These are just things where I'm saying, you're sitting there going, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for me. Maybe it's never going to happen for me. And God will give you all the grace and all the fulfillment if that's the case. But if it's not the case, while you're still waiting and nothing really seems on the horizon, think about some of those things and we'll send those out on WhatsApp as well, which I think are really important for us to think on. Right. Let's pray. You've been brilliant in the process. Um, I would love us actually to stand as we pray. That would be great. And then we'll get ready for some coffee that's all on the go. Uh, just as we pray, um, I, I know that we're in, we're in different groups here. And, uh, and, and I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for the, those who are teenage years and maybe early 20s or 30s um, are early in on, on, on this process. Father, I pray 
that out of this church, there would be strong, healthy, godly marriages. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one. I pray for purity in relationships. I pray for master, mission, mate to be the right order. I pray that our teens and our 20s amongst us would go on to be examples to future generations who people look in and say, those guys did it right. Those guys are doing it right. Those guys are following God and honoring God. I want a marriage like them. And so I pray for this young group that they would be a generation that honors you in relationships in a powerful way, be it in this country, be it beyond in other nations. But, uh, but, but on the back of this, there'd be a huge honoring of you in the process. I pray for those who are considering, um, and they're very close in this, considering asking someone out, considering taking a next step or going in another stage. I ask that you'd lead with wisdom. I ask that you would lead with um, with your hand as you do, that you'd bring peace, um, that you'd bring grace, and that there'd be exciting adventures for a number ahead. I pray that for maybe those of us in married, married relationships, maybe we're sitting going, ah, that was really far in the past for me. I can't even really remember what that was like. And I can't really remember, you know, all the excitement and the buzz and, and all those sorts of things. Father, I pray that you would, you would bring that back in relationships that are needing some sort of um, reviving and romance and just excitement and laughter and, and thrill and those sorts of things. Bring that back. For people who've been married for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe it's feeling like we're, we're sort of cohabiting, we're in the same house, but there isn't really like that buzz. Also, you'd give the tools and the wisdom and just your presence, Holy Spirit, to bring back the buzz and the life and the excitement of thinking back the memories of those times before. And then finally, I pray for people who are in that process of going, I don't think marriage is going to happen for me, maybe because of age, or maybe I just don't feel it, or... I feel like I'm just past it and I really wanted to get married, but it's never really happened. It's, it's never really come about and, and I'm really depressed about this. Maybe people going, it feels like I'm just getting on in age. Heavenly Father, I ask first and foremost that you would be the source. I ask for every person feeling like that today, every hurt, every feeling of being, um, I've, been, I've been glanced over, no one's noticed me, or, um, or there's been brokenness in the past. Father, I pray that you would bring, as we shared over there, a whole soul, that you would bring a real sense of closeness to you and that you are the ultimate fulfilling source. So you do that right now, Holy Spirit. I ask you to be a sense of being part of family and part of community without any other relationship. I ask that you would do that in a powerful and very, very special way for people in that bracket. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the series. Thank you for the process that you're taking each of us on. I ask that as we head out and as we have social and we have coffees and teas and all those sorts of things, I ask that we would be a people who walk with you, who honor you, um, and who do relationships well um, in the way that you call us to. Um, if we need to do any repenting, if we need to do any asking for forgiveness of each other, of children for the examples we've set, of people that we've hurt, Father, I ask you'd give us the courage to say sorry, to turn in a different direction. Maybe there's people here living in a relationship and God would be challenging you and he'd be tinging at your heart and he'd be saying, hey, do you know what? I've got something better. I've got something better. It's going to take breaking some things, moving out, doing a tweak. I've got something better for you. Trust him. He always has something better for you. So thank you for this amazing time together. Your name we pray. Amen.